This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I'm chatting with CJ, or Crystal, who was a gestational surrogate for Martin and Paul. I interviewed Martin and Paul back at episode 73, so if you haven't heard that one yet, I recommend listening to that one and this one at the same time because they um, they really tie in well together, I think, hearing from the intended parents and the surrogate. So Crystal and I talked about the last six months since she gave birth to Zach and all the highs and lows of the fourth trimester. And also we talked about being a single parent surrogate and living in a different state to your intended parents. I'm going to hand over now to Crystal. Um, Hi, I'm Crystal or CJ in the Facebook community. Uh, I'm a single mum of two girls, Ruby and Lola, who are nine and four. Um, I live in Brisbane and my IPs, uh, Martin and Paul, live in Melbourne. And I gave birth to baby Zach uh, as his surrogate in December 2019. That's great. So Zach's about six months old. So we're going to hear about how amazing your journey's been, but in particular the last six months for you. Um, Crystal, how did you come to become a surrogate? Um, So my girls are both conceived through uh, donor sperm. Uh, My ex carried and birthed Ruby. um, And after uh, we split up, um, I really had the urge to pursue parenthood uh, on my own. And and I uh, used a different sperm donor to conceive Lola. Um, And through that, I decided I wanted to give back uh, and I heard about egg donation Um, and so and then naturally I progressed from egg donation to surrogacy um, after I think doing about seven seven egg cycles for four families. Um, I did not know that you had donated that many times that's amazing how did you find your egg donor recipients? Um, funny you ask. So I guess I knew what I was looking for in intended parents because my first uh, recipient family essentially ghosted me, um, which I really uh, struggled with. Um, I guess perhaps I wasn't clear in my expectations. I'm I'm not sure uh, with that. Um, the family I donated to a second t- the second time live in Canberra, so there is that bit of distance. But even still, uh, the baby's uh, two and a half, coming up to three, uh, and I've never met her. So my expectations there were very different to what they've turned out to be as well. Um, but my, the family I donated to the third time, I've become amazing friends with, and I visit them quite regularly. Uh, and the fourth family I donated to, they, uh, she was a um, single lady who's a sister of a friend of mine, uh, and she didn't become pregnant through my donation, but has a beautiful little baby boy because um, I couldn't do a second cycle. So I guess I knew what I was looking for in IPs with surrogacy in the sense that uh, I'd learnt how, I, through my life, I'd learnt how to identify my kind of people Um, and I wasn't going to let my previous experiences with doing something for someone else uh, happen again. Mm. 
And you're right that quite a number of donors start off doing egg donation and then think, well, I'm going to try this surrogacy business. Did you have any particular ideas about the sort of intended parents? You say that, you know, obviously you wanted people that you could be friends with. Um, and I know you carried from Martin and Paul who are in a completely different state. Did you think I'd really like somebody local or I'd really like the friendship to be above whether they live nearby? Um, it had to be about the right fit. I, with egg donation, I'd done local, I'd done uh, interstate and it had to be, it just ha it had to be a better relationship than that. I wasn't going to compromise on that. I've got two young kids. It's important to me that they have uh, a relationship um, with Martin and Paul and Zach. Um, and so it, it had to, it had to be that it had, to, it had to be them first. Um, so I think I was looking for, you know, for more information about surrogacy uh, when I found the Egg Donation Australia forum, not the Facebook group, but the forum. Um, and it was on there that I found a sequence of posts from Martin and Paul. Um, and they were sort of talking about their journey. And, and I started at their first post. Uh, I, think I, I think I originally found one about their most recent egg collection where they were referring to their um, embryos as egg, egg wiener and Egbert or something, or, or <laughs> egg word. Um, and yeah, so, you know, it was that. And then I went back to their first post and it started with um, something like, hello, I really don't like that word. It sounds a bit posh, which I thought was funny now because now I know the English. And, you know, to me, everything I say sounds posh. But then they said, um, but it worked for Adele, so here goes. And I, and I, and it just, there were these consistent, like, little funny jokes, um, and, and it just made me laugh, and their sense of humour appeared to be the same as mine. So I thought, well, I remember clear as day sitting outside my gym um, going, I'm going to message them. Uh, and I did, and... And I, yep, I didn't have a photo uh, on my account. So I, it was someone you'd swipe no to, um, as they've, <laughs> they've said quite publicly. Um, but then in their first response, it ended with, um, Martin's usually the one that writes the witty responses. So sorry that this one's boring, but he says I need to interact more. So I'm giving it a go. And he just, and, and Paul just ticked the, socially awkward box for me and I and I was like I, I'm amongst my friends mm. um so and, and and we hit it off from there and it, you know the, ensued the next the last you know two years yeah amazing um so I guess assuming that nobody listening to this has actually heard Martin and Paul's um <laughs> episode although I think you should go back and listen to that if you haven't already what was that process like for you given that they're interstate in terms of um stepping through the counselling and the legals and everything else involved um look there, there's added logistics with that but uh I am I'm a single mum I'm an executive assistant I'm ridiculously organised most of the time. Um, so I don't actually think that it was it was that difficult. Uh, I think we had our, Martin and Paul came to visit me the first time uh, in July 2018. Uh, and I, you know, gave them a baptism by fire the first time I visited, visited them 
I think, in August or September with both my kids. Um, and, you know, when kids meet people for the first time, it's a novelty. So it really was um, full on. Um, and, and it wasn't long after that. So each time I, I had to travel for appointments, I took my kids because it was important to me that they develop a relationship because it's not just me going through this process. It's, it's me and my children. Um, and it was really important to have them along the way. Um, Melbourne IVF being Melbourne IVF, we couldn't do a lot of stuff online. It had to be a lot, a lot of in-person. Um, I think we got them to do our joint counselling altogether. And even then that was a little bit of a stretch. Um, but we, we sort of really tried to um, book in appointments all in one go. So in, I think, a five-day visit I had, um, individual counselling, psych assessments and a visit to a specialist all in the space of two and a half days or something. So um, a bit of planning, but, I mean, it, it's just part of the process. And as I said, it was more about having that relationship with them and having the time with my kids throughout that so we could build the friendship that we have rather than um, it just being a fly in, fly out on my own, just get the job done kind of vibe. Mm. And I do think um, <laughs> in surrogacy, you tend to end up becoming project managers. At least somebody in the team has to be pretty driven with the appointments and organising everything. Was that you or was it more the guys doing that? Uh, no, that was me. Um, <laughs> and to the point that um, during our cycles, uh, they Melbourne IVF sent me for scans and blood tests as you usually would uh, but they sent me to a generic um, imaging place um, so I was seeing a sonographer who's not used to counting follicles or measuring size of follicles and things like that um, and I and it just didn't feel right and I said to them I feel like I need to go and see a specialist and they went no no go back to the same one for consistency um, and then that cycle didn't work and I can't help but think that maybe if the cycle had been managed better um, that we may have had a different outcome uh, in saying that we went for the second cycle and I said I'm going to see my specialist for the scans uh, and I did I saw um, my fertility specialist from when I conceived uh, Lola and had my imaging and everything done from someone who specialises in it and then of course it was successful. So there were even times that I found I had to, you know, push Melbourne IVF in a particular direction. But yeah, typically I was the one that said, okay, this is what's next, this is what's coming. Mm. Um, however, um, to to their credit, uh, Martin and Paul made a made a point of surprise visits and things like that in between all the things that, you know, that I tried to plan, um, you know, so much so that uh, they, you know, they, they tried to surprise me right before I had Zach um, with my favourite Christmas film in a theatre um, and they surprised me in that I, and I stomped my feet the whole way and made it really difficult because they wouldn't tell me any plans. But um, 
they had organised for all my friends and family to come to this theatre and they'd written a song and, and made a little clip out of it with the lyrics, um, which played before Home Alone, which is my favourite Christmas um, nostalgia sort of um, movie. And, um, you know, so despite me needing to have control over organising things, they, they went above and beyond to do the extra things. I actually um, suspect I would be the same if somebody said, I'm going to invite you somewhere and not tell you what we're doing. I would, it, <laughs> I would probably be stomping my feet as well. <laughs> I was like, I need to know if like what we're seeing, if my kids are going to be interested, otherwise they're going to run around. Like, are we feeding them? Like maybe I just shouldn't take my kids. Like I was difficult. Um, <laughs> tell me about that because them. I know and we're I'm jumping ahead a bit because you would have been nearly due at the time or about due. Yeah. Um, what was, do, do you think that was the sort of interplay of you needing to feel in control and the hormones and the emotion of being in your last trimester? I think so. And because I, so I had Lola by an elective caesarean um, because that's another story. Um, and while I originally thought I would, um, try to go naturally then I decided no I'll have another c-section because it'll be easier for planning for them to come and then as soon as as soon as the hospital said to me there's no guarantee they'll both be able to be in theater I went do you know what I'm birthing I'm I am not compromising on having them both in the room um and so I guess because then we were all new. None of us knew what to expect once I started birthing. I guess I had no control over that. Uh, and for me, being an organised and, and, and someone who's always in control of everything, um, and I guess that's part of me being a single mum, I just, I, it, it was really difficult um, to not, I, I, I suppose I was hanging on to control whatever I could. Mm. So, so um you gave birth at the end of December. Uh, tell me from your perspective, because we've heard from Martin and Paul about those weeks afterwards, but what was it like having them nearby for those first few weeks? Um, you know, post-birth is... It, it really fascinates me, to be honest, because uh, the physiological response that your body has, and Katrina Hell talks about it all the time, that the primal instincts that come... Uh, with your, with giving birth and that sort of thing was really fascinating. I had three stages in that four weeks that they, that Martin and Paul were here after I had Zach four and a half weeks maybe. Um, and the first was in that, in that time from when baby blues hit to uh, when maybe the first weekend, um, I just felt like everyone I was joyous but my emotions my outward emotions were just tears and like someone would ask how I was and I would start to cry um and it just got to the point I had my midwives coming to visit and I was talking to them and I was just was saying I feel like I'm so consumed by worrying that they think I'm sad not that I was but and not that they were watching me, but I was worried that their perception was that I was sad. Um, and I just wanted to be able to not hold it in. So 
Uh, and um, one of my midwives said, well, maybe you can ask to have some time. Um, and with great apprehension, because I, feel, I felt like asking time goes, for time alone with Zach goes against, it doesn't go against anything. It just, I just feel like it's, I, I don't know, maybe a bit taboo. Um, and I, and I said, I, is it okay if maybe I have some time alone with Zach so I can just feel whatever my hormones want me to feel at that point in time, but I don't have to worry about what everybody else thinks of those feelings. It can just be private for me. Um, and of course they didn't hesitate. Um, you know, within half an hour, they had a date and a time booked where they could go to the movies and, and they, they, they didn't skip a beat and they consistently have never skipped a beat through um, the last two years. Um, and what that day, I, I went there anxious because I didn't know what to expect. I expected to sit there and cry. And they left and I went and I changed Zach and I got some baby oil and as I was rubbing it into his skin, I remember just literally counting his fingers and his toes out loud and then I, out the corner of my eye, I just sort of got a glimpse of his, the rise and fall of his chest. And I just, I just said to him, wow, like we, we've done this, we've done this together and I love you and your dads will love you and you were made from love. And, you know, this, this is, this is, this is it. Um, and I felt so just the enormity of it and the enormity that comes with with childbirth generally but also without me they might not have a son or that son um, and that is in the scheme of the world something that's both fascinating and miraculous and and wonderful and it, it, there's just not a you'd know there's just not a description for it mm. um, and I think you're right I think it, you describe it so beautifully but I think it's really lovely to sort of take the time to sort of bask in the glow of what you've done to go this I did this it's amazing look at how this feels and to sort yeah. of let your body and your brain catch up to each other as well and it's okay. I hate when people tell me I'm amazing, but do you know what? It, it's okay for me to go, I, I did something really phenomenal. Um, and I did that with the support of a phenomenal team. Um, and I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it without them. And for me, having that time with Zach stops the tears for the most part. Uh, and I was able to, um, I guess, then focus on spending more time with them. Uh, the next phase of that fourth trimester for me was uh, where then the doubt kicks in, the, you know, the doubt of, of my role in their lives. Um, 
and I and I spent and I would still have that. I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have a split time of oh, you know, life is, and then my body goes, "Where's the baby?" And then you go, "Oh, that's right." And but my body would have this anxious feeling, and I and I know anxiety to notice that that's what it was, and to be able to identify that. But then once they'd message me and tell me about their night, that would go away. And my and Lola, my youngest, um, at the time was, you know, emotionally recovering from me being in hospital for four days and was sleeping in my bed. So I learnt in that in that time to tell my to tell my body in my head, your baby's here. And I would just hold her for that 10 minutes before you get out of bed and go, here's your baby, your baby's here. And so that between them messaging me and also having access to a shared album because their family's overseas. Um, so on iPhones, you can, there's a, in the photo app, you can share an album. So they made me part of that. Um, so I could look at photos that they'd taken and added to that rather than have to ask for photos in addition to what I'd taken myself at that point in time or what they were sending me. Um, so that really helped me to it, to process those mornings. Um, but yeah, then the next the next step was that that doubt uh, that then kicked in probably a couple of days before they went home, and I and I just went, what if? This has been so great for me, but what if there's a ton of things they wish had been done differently or that they wish they'd changed or, or what if I'd not been a good enough surrogate? Um, which, which is ridiculous um, because how do you be a bad surrogate? I successfully birthed the baby. He was, you know, how, how do you get that wrong? But uh, what if I love them to death and they don't love me that way what if I got this all wrong um and I've had that experience as I said with being an egg donor I, I've had that experience where I you know I, I don't have contact with people I've done something for um and I said to them I just need to ask how you think this went do you think if you wanted to go again that you'd let me be your surrogate. And um, I, I remember them both just looking a bit baffled. Um, and, and I guess Paul saying to me in that time, like you have to remember uh, the things that, that we've done, not because we have to, but because we want to and because we care and because you're a part of our live, lives and you know, even now on the tough days, that's, I hear that. I can, I, I picture them standing there and I can picture exactly where they were in the room that we were in and I can hear him telling me that. And because I've heard it and I can have it on playback almost uh, when, I when that doubt creeps in, and it does because hormones. Uh, and there's no other explanation apart from hormones, but I've got that now on playback with, the photos that in, are in the shared album with the birth photos that we have with all the photos that we've made in the last two years with memories with talking to them um you know and every time i spoke to them about the issues 
not even issues, but every time I spoke to them about needing time with Zach, about the doubts that I'd been a good surrogate, every time I spoke to them, it brought, it took, it took away the feelings that I was having, the doubt that I was having, because it's, it's that reassurance, I guess, that, that I needed, that is so unlike me to need, but, um, but hormones, I, I can't, I, I just never expected to, to be that, I guess, out of control of them, I guess. Um, but I'm very self-aware and I've always done a lot of work at being self-aware. So being able to identify, uh, identify those feelings and do something about it, you know. So I think those three things from that four-week mark, that would have got me to the four-week mark. Uh, and then I really, really breezed through the fourth trimester, those three months, I guess. What was um, it like when going from having them around for the first four weeks to then saying goodbye what was it that got you through or made it a good experience once they flew out and back to Melbourne? Um, I think uh, that the contact really didn't change. Um, we'd, I'd made a point of making sure that I saw them every day, that they were here, but not necessarily for all day, and also making sure that there were days that I didn't see him. Um, consistently from the start, so not weaning off because I was scared of the weaning off kind of idea uh, and that, that that would just create bigger struggles, but making sure that there were days that um, that I didn't see them so that when they did go, um, I knew what that felt like. Um, but the contact didn't really change in that they drove home to Melbourne. Um, they were driving home at that point of around the significant bushfires um, and despite having a safe road home um, I was a little anxious so I was messaging them um, quite a bit but really the communication has not um, has not stopped uh, and I've always been really supported but I, probably the key thing was knowing that four weeks later I was going to see them at home um, so we've always had a rule of we'd always have the next visit planned um, and not just post pregnancy, but throughout the whole pregnancy, I've always known when the next visit was going to be. Um, and that was, you know, to, to know that, I mean, they'd been there for four weeks and I was only going to have those four weeks until I saw them again. And then knowing that probably about another four weeks, we'd have the parentage order after that visit. So I'd be back down there. Again, so we, we had a we had a plan, um, but as you know, um, COVID happened, and uh, our um, parentage order hearing was cancelled, uh, and we were notified by email that that had been approved. Um, so I didn't get to go, um, and I was all right for a while, and it was probably around. Uh, probably about two or three weeks ago that the apple cart got a bit un unsettled, I guess. And let's um, talk about that because I, I, I certainly hear um, what you're saying about planning the next visit because I found that really important and my guys are local, but I did find that if we had coffee on a Wednesday 
at the end of it, I would want to know when are we going to see each other next? Are we going to see each other in a fortnight yeah. or are you going to call me and we'll make another plan? It felt really important yeah. to have something in mind that we were going to see each other and that there was some sense of how long that would be. And I think a lot of surrogates might find that really useful to go, if you're feeling a bit anxious about what's next and are you going to see the intended parents, then have a plan for when that visit might happen, particularly if you're not local. Yeah, and of course we, we FaceTime and we message and we still message pretty much daily, which is what it's always been like since that first um, FaceTime call. Um, but I, I guess to have the next visit planned, it, it takes away the unknown. Um, and so then when the next visit didn't happen, um, I was fine, but we always knew we'd need the next visit planned because that's what I'd need as a creature of planning and uh, and being organised and things like that. Um, so I guess uh, I, that that same sort of doubt crept in of um, Zach's not how how is he possibly going to know me? Um, and I just I became so uh, I, I I I had this one particular day that. I, for some reason, and, and it was probably around the time that my cycle restarted um, consistently and I was just so emotional and I, and I had it fixed in my head that they'd not messaged me that day because of, of who knows why, um, but how, how's, how's Zach going to know me? By the time, who knows when I'm going to visit next? It could be the end of the year and he's just... And it's heartbreaking to think that you go through something with this little baby and you're the closest person to him. And then all of a sudden he doesn't know you. Um, that can feel and so really confronting. And I do remember feeling that. And also being genetically related, I was like, she's going to grow up yeah. and not know who I am. And that's terrifying and really like, you know, I guess it's that sort of time that you need reassurance from your intended parents that they really are going to make sure baby knows who you are. Absolutely. And it wasn't, and they didn't know, to be honest, they had, they had no idea. And in the space of like this, it really all hit me in the space of four days and I hadn't said anything to them. And I was driving home and I had to stop at the supermarket and on the way to the supermarket, the song that Michael Bublé wrote and uh, for his kids came on and I parked my car and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and I've never cried like that in my life um and I just went I, I was mad at myself at the time that I hadn't made better connections with surrogates to be able to reach out because I thought you know what they're the only ones that are going to understand um I was mad at myself for getting to that point that and having not let Martin and Paul know I was at that point and not coming up with the better plan to make sure you know, that, that maybe we were FaceTiming a bit more regularly at that time. And, and it was, and I was, I, I guess, punishing myself a little bit. Um, and of course, as soon as I messaged them the next day and said, maybe I need some counselling, you know, and we're five and a half months post by this point. So the fourth trimester was done. Um, and I messaged them and said, I, I might need some counselling. I'm not quite sure. And of course they said, absolutely. If you need counselling, get counselling. But what can we do? Can we, can we FaceTime every couple of days? Can you 
do you know, do you want to read stories to Zach? What can we do to help you? Um, and to be honest, the relief that I found myself feeling just from talking to them is the kind of relief that no one else at that point could have taken away from me. For me. It was knowing that, that I mattered and that me struggling mattered and that they were there for me regardless. And that for all that, that, that it might seem to an outsider that that don't be silly, CJ, of course you're very special to him and of course you will be known. But for the surrogate, it is that, that sort of sense of, well, I was really, really special and important. And it can feel like the sort of jealousy of anyone else that's having more time with them or their child. Because I remember yeah. that. So you're definitely not alone, even if it's totally weird. Like it's still, and it's not you're just not alone. Zach, it's all of them. Mm. Um, and wanting to be with them when, when I can't, it's a process. Mm. Uh, and it's a process that I don't think ends with this invisible line that's the fourth trimester. Um, no, you're right. You're definitely I mean, right there. That I, I think that it's this sort of process of finding whatever the new normal is, is at least 12 months. And for me, it's been longer than that, but it's certainly not the end of the three months post-birth. Yeah, absolutely. And everything's different. I mean, every, every milestone, every, every I, I'm still built physiologically to have a primal, I guess, um, defense mechanism or, or that I, that I protect, urge to protect that I, that I didn't expect. Um, and, and I, I love him and I love them all. And it's a different kind of love to my kids but it still comes with the primal urges that I had for my own kids um, and processing that um, and being kind to myself about that and accepting that for, for what it is has been, has been, um, you know, I, I, I work at that. Um, and, you know, I, I just have had such a great experience and I've been so supported by them. Um, you know, I just have to remember that. I have to remember and remind myself that they're not the other people in my life who have got what they wanted and left. Um, you know, our, our, our journey has been, there's nothing that I would there's nothing that I would change. And I feel like at times when I've reflected on things that I might do differently, um, it's all been inward. It's been about me being more tolerant when I'm pregnant and a bit hormonal, being a little bit more patient, being uh, better at communicating, being better at accepting help. Um, you know, I, I'm a single parent. It's ingrained in me to just keep on going. Um, and at one point I had vertigo, influenza A and morning sickness and I was so sick. But I, and they offered childcare, but I just, it's, it, at that point in time, I just wanted to be with my kids. And then of course my kids ended up sick anyway. Um, but I, I should be better at saying, yes, you can help. Um, 
you know, and, and, and that's what they were there to do and what they wanted to do. So I guess in terms of um, when you get to the end of something like this and you, and you think about all the things that you could do, uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to perhaps not be this self-critical um, so that, you know, you can be thankful for what you've been given mm. in it as well because I haven't walked away empty-handed. Um, I've walked away with brilliant friends and, um, you know, my kids have an extended family and I have an extended family um, and something that is so unique. You're five and a half heading for six months post-birth and, of course, COVID has been thrown in and you're in different states so you haven't been able to come down at the times that we'd hoped. Um, you're seeing the guys soon. What's that going to be like? Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, I am going in this time next Thursday um, and I just think it will be everything I want it to be. I've warned them that I'll probably cry because hormones again um but i just i'm so excited to see my friends um i'm so excited to see how they're going and what they've built for themselves at home and um i'm really interested to see what the next phase is for my physical response to zach that really interests me um to see if my body goes oh i still know you um I think that's that just working in healthcare, that kind of thing interests me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that, that time with them and we'll go out to dinner without Zach. Um, and it, it, it will just be what it's always been. Um, nothing has changed in our relationship other than that it's grown and got stronger. Um, you know, I, I, really struggle to describe how I feel toward them um, and, and how excited I am to get down there and just, just be. Mm. Tell me, um, if you had any advice for a surrogate, particularly one that's, I guess, in similar position to you, maybe looking at an interstate journey or as a single parent themselves, what would your advice be? I think my advice is probably the same for intended parents as it is for surrogates. And that is when you join the, the group and you are looking for a surrogate, don't. Don't look for a surrogate. Look for a friend. Look for that one person who fits really easily or those two people that fit really easily into your life where the conversation flows and you feel like you've known each other forever and time flies by um because that's what you need um find you know saying yes to the first person that comes is is not um is, is not and, and in both ways um but i it has to come down to that relationship uh you know we have been as successful as we have been because that always comes first um over anything our friendship and our relationship um, and the role we play in each other's lives always comes first. Um, so don't, don't look for intended parents, don't look for surrogates, look for 
a friend because if it doesn't work, you still walk away with a really valuable friendship. Um, you know, and that friendship has to has to work above necessarily the, the the tough questions. Yeah, sure, you need to align on a lot of those, but in the right relationship, there's room to negotiate and hear each other um, and hear each other's opinions and why certain things are more valuable to the other person. You know, and if you've got that friendship, you're less inclined to be to be on the stance of this is what I want. And you're more willing to hear about um, the why. Um, you know, I'd do anything for my friends. Um, I'd do anything for them. And I, and I have. Um, but because they were my friends first. So. I think that's, that is probably some of the best advice I've heard. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Crystal. I really appreciate not only you sharing so openly, but the advice that you've got for other people. I think that's really important. Thank you. No worries. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.